Uh, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We're going a little farther. That's where we were at last week. But uh, that's where we're going to begin. And I hope you have your Bible. Uh, it's important to have a Bible. It's important to see what God is saying to us. I hope you didn't come and say, well, I wonder what that guy down at Broadway is going to talk about. I wonder what he thinks about this. It doesn't matter what I think about it. it. doesn't matter what you think about it. We've got opinions on everything, but they're equally of value. Zero. Well, what's, interesting, what's important is what God is saying. What is God saying to us from his word and how are we going to respond to what God is saying to us and that's all we're interested in all we want to hear about if you go to uh, Google and type in great ideas a number of websites come up I did that uh, I do all kinds of things and I don't know why sometimes but it's interesting that if you type in great ideas a number of websites come up one website comes up and kind of lists some things that would be great ideas like start a new business. Somebody thought that's a great idea. Stay healthy. That's a great idea. Go green. You know, be environmentally responsible. That's a good idea. Learn a new language. Great idea. Um, make more money. Great idea. So they had a whole list of these kind of things. And another website kind of gave specific things that were great ideas. Actually, some these are the great ideas of civilized mankind. Here's what they are. The clothes hanger. You take it for granted, it's a great idea, though. <laughs> Earmuffs. A great idea. You'll know that in a couple months from now. Mousetrap, right? Great idea. Safety pins. Yeah, you take them for granted. You don't even think about it, but what a great idea that was, right? I was really excited to find computer was not on that list at all. <laughs> well, great ideas are powerful means of shaping our lives, and there's something even more powerful than a great idea, and that is a great truth. Specifically, a person that embodies a great truth. Now, in the Christian faith, we have great doctrines, and they're powerful means of shaping our lives, but even more powerful is a great doctrine or a great truth that's lived out in a real person. Books about the Bible are important, but many of us have found that the story of a person who lives and dies by that doctrine is even more powerful. I was reading a letter that John Piper, the Baptist author, preacher, pastor, um, had uh, received in response to his book, Desiring God. He's written a number of books. That's probably his classic or his most well-known. And a reader had uh, purchased that book, had read it, and was writing John Piper a letter. And the letter read, I have a maintenance business. And I found that in the manual labor I perform, there's a time that my mind is free to meditate on the Word of God. So as a custodian sweeping or mopping or cleaning, he had time, quiet time, that he was able to reflect on the Word of God. And I found myself enjoying the glories and the beauties of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the process, I have memorized 15 books of the New Testament. And I found the scripture to be increasingly sweet and real and precious as the Holy Spirit takes them and makes the things of Christ real to me. Now, it's one thing to know the Bible teaching that we should hide the word of God in our heart. That's Psalm 119 verse 11. It's 
It's one thing to know that Bible truth. But it's another thing, isn't it, to incorporate it, to live it in our life. And we hear a testimony like that where the doctrine is personalized and being lived out. And we hear that, and we're rebuked by it, we're inspired by it, we're guided by it. We're, we, we, we feel, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. And it, and it kind of inspires us, moves, it ahead, moves us ahead. So we're considering this morning Barnabas. And my prayer is that the portrait of this man will inspire us and move us personally and individually to respond to the truth of God's Word. It's great truth. It's even greater if it's personalized and lived out in each of our lives. So that Hebrews 13, 7 says, we will consider the outcome of his life and imitate his faith. That's my prayer. Now, the last time we focused on Acts 11, where Luke tells us that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Now, he's really talking about not a special person, not an unusual or unique person. This is just what the Christian life is. This is how every Christian should live life, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. So, that could describe each one of us that profess a faith and faith and have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're simply people full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And because of that, we respond differently than we would before we were transformed, before we were new creatures. We're living a different life. And we studied four aspects of his goodness and saw how all of that came from his faith. So, as we have faith, remember Barnabas had compassion for the outsiders. Jesus did. When Jesus' Spirit's in us, we have compassion for the outsiders, the less fortunate, the visitors, the uh, discouraged, the down and outer, and that kind of thing. We saw, secondly, he was submissive then to God's call, wasn't he? I just love that. I still love that uh, verse, uh, verse 23 where the, the church sent him, and uh, verse 23 starts out when he arrived. <laughs> you know, there's no question about it. He didn't deliberate a great deal. I said, oh, okay, and he was sensitive to God's call, and off he went. He was faithful. Jesus said, go, he went. That, that was the end of it. And then we saw how he was able to see God's grace even in an imperfect church. And he looked at those embers that were just glowing, just smoldering, and he was just longing to fan those into flame. And then, fourthly, how he exerted himself for the faithfulness and well-being of others. And so, this morning, that was the person, that was the making of a leader-maker, the making of one that disciples, the making of a mentor. And it's the makings that all of us have inherently in us that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So when Jesus says, go into all the world, he's talking to each one of us. Uh, we, don't get a, we don't get to put it on the board of missionaries we have in the back. That, oh, well, we got people going in the world. No. And remember that is as simple for us as maybe sitting 10 years on this side and going over to this side because there's somebody in need and somebody that's, and that's just how it works out for us. So I hope the Spirit will stir us up to be as much of a leader maker as we can. And remember, a Christian leader is someone that shapes someone else in the image of Christ, moves them toward the image of Christ. And and that definition is broad enough to include all of us that uh, are obedient to Christ, because all of us should be influencing someone toward Christ's likeness. 
Now, if we get more specific, what we usually mean by a good Christian leader is someone who's really good at influencing others toward that Christ-likeness. So we have this Spirit-empowering strength in our life, that's the Holy Spirit, that draws others and is able to sway and influence them toward Jesus Christ. Patrick Johnson has written a book called Operation World. And in that book, he says, leadership is the key. There's a worldwide lack of men and women truly called of God and deeply taught in the scriptures to lead the churches. There is a lack. Been hearing a lot about the lack of teachers or people going into the teacher profession. We're going to have a shortage of teachers. It's more critical in the gospel ministry. There is an absolute shortage of trained, uh, proficient men and women taught in Scripture to lead the churches. People willing to suffer scorn, poverty, and the shame of the cross for the sake of the Savior who redeemed them. He goes on to say, those who accurately and effectively expound the Scriptures are few, especially in areas where the churches are growing rapidly. What the church needs worldwide is spirit-filled, Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, self-abasing, untiring, persevering leaders who exert deep, broad, life-changing influences for Christ. That's what we need. That's what Broadway needs. And to get them, we're going to need thousands of Barnabas-like leader makers. That's us. Are you one? Could you be one? Don't rule yourself out too quickly. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon, who in the 19th century was considered the prince of the pulpit. He was a preacher par excellence. Uh, his sermons are still being, being read and expounded. Charles Spurgeon tells us, and listen to this, listen to what he says about Mary King. Mary King was the housekeeper. She was the custodian. At the school he attended as a teenager in Newmarket, England. Spurgeon says she liked something very sweet indeed, good, strong doctrine. But she lived as strongly as well as she fed strongly. Many a time we have gone over the covenant of grace together and talked of the personal election of the saints, their union to Christ, their final perseverance and what vital godliness meant. And I do believe that I learned more from her Charles Spurgeon, the prince of the pulpit, learned more from his housekeeper as a teenager than I should have learned from any six doctors of divinity of the sort we have nowadays. Don't rule yourself out. (laughs) The most important thing you might ever do for the cause of Christ may not surface for 30 years. But don't quench the Spirit of God this morning. He might be calling you to be a leader maker. Now, let me suggest five marks this morning of a leader maker that we find in the life of Barnabas. Under the providence of God in the life of the early church, we owe the ministry of two leaders to the initiative and advocacy of Barnabas. Those two leaders are Paul, the great apostle, and John Mark. Now, as far as we know, Barnabas wrote none of the New Testament. But the men he nurtured wrote a third of it. Paul wrote 13 epistles of the New Testament. Mark wrote one of the four Gospels. So 
Let's look at the marks of a biblical leader maker in the life of Barnabas, the man whom the apostles nicknamed the son of encouragement. Number one, a leader maker. This is for each of us to consider. This is for each of us to respond to. A leader maker is a risk taker. A leader maker is a risk taker. A biblical leader maker takes risks to support helpful leaders, future leaders, potential leaders. If we go back to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts in verse 26, it says at the time of Saul's conversion, his name would later be changed to Paul, but he was Saul at that point. At the time of Saul's conversion, he came to Jerusalem and tried to join the apostles. And you remember, he had previously persecuted Christians. He was the high priest hatchet man. He had letters that authorized him to hunt down this rogue sect, imprison them, torture them, cast them in prison, rid them of him. And he did all of that in the name of God. He felt like he was doing God a favor in persecuting this early church. And his efforts were relentless. And now he's claiming to be a Christian. Well, the early church thought probably what many of us would think, listen, he's just trying to get on the inside. He's trying to find out where we are, who we are, where we meet. And he's going to come in here with guns blazing. And, and verse 26 said, they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. Is there anyone that will take a risk for Saul. Anyone who can see in him the making of a great leader. And one man came forward. One man stuck his neck out when everyone else was afraid to give Saul a chance to prove himself. Barnabas. And verse 27, Acts 9, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. A number of years later, this Paul would write a book to the Roman church. In the 15th chapter, he writes to that church, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Did God accept you? Just like you are? Amen. (laughs) Just like we are, baggage and all. And Barnabas became his advocate, became his mentor, became his discipler. What was the result? The church accepted him. And his ministry began to flourish in Jerusalem. And Barnabas watched all of that and made note. This wouldn't be the last time Barnabas came alongside this man and supported his ministry. So the first mark of a leader maker is the willingness to take a risk, the willingness to step out, the willingness to take the initiative, take that first step on behalf of a potential leader. Most of us would say this morning, I'm guessing, um, about being a leader, I'll never be a leader. I'm not leader stuff. I'm nervous about being. That's not what we're talking about. You're off the hook if you just make a leader and push him out there. That's what we're after. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Watch what happens here. But the first thing, we have to be willing to take a risk. And you may see somebody who said, they'd be a good leader. They'd be a good leader. Oh, they'd be great in that position. Get behind them. Get in their life. Invest in them. Encourage that. That's what we're talking about. And what a payoff. And there's thousands of us that got to get on the wagon or 
this church in this country is going to continue on its downhill spiral. Well, there's a second thing. A leader maker has a good eye and a glad heart. A leader maker has a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. One of the points we talked about last week from Acts 11, 23, when the church in Jerusalem heard that a church had been planted in Antioch, and the one man they thought would be a good encourager was Barnabas. And Barnabas could always find something to encourage people in. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God. See, Barnabas had this good eye. He could see where God was looking. It might just be an ember. It wasn't a roaring inferno, but he could see where God had been working. And we stand back and look and, uh, and think that, um, oh, look, look at this terrible. But Barnabas could look in. He had a good eye. He could see where God had been. But God's working here. God's got potential there. there there's an ember of grace that I see God work. I'm going to work with that, and I'm going to fan that, and I'm going to develop that. And he knew the church was imperfect, but he also saw, saw God's grace in that church. Listen, don't waste your time on wet wood. You know what I mean by that? We have to, so many of us, and if you do, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get discouraged, and you're going to give up. How many of us have, and usually it's people that are close to us, a family member, a friend, and they are so far away from God, their wood is wet, there's no ember of grace, there's no evidence that they're being drawn to God. At that point, we continue to pray, yes, we don't forsake them, no. But what we're investing our life in is those that we see an ember of grace. One, that we're not frustrated, but we ourselves become encouraged because we begin to see results from our, from our effort. Leader makers have this, sen this sense uh, of grace. They're alert to where God is working in someone's life, and they want to get in and move that into flame. A lot of people, you know, just have buckets of criticism and they pour it on the ashes. Well, it's imperfect. Oh, they got problems. Oh, they got issues. Oh, they got anybody can do that. That's not what we need. That's not what the church in our country needs. We need thousands of us that are seeing the work of God in somebody's heart and somebody's life and willing to step into that. Barb Esplund is a missionary in the Philippines. And she speaks of all unbelievers as more or less on their way to Christ. That's just how she looks at it. She can see the signs of hope, a glowing ember, and just almost anyone she comes across. She doesn't have a static crisis mentality that see people as kind of just fixed in where they are now, their alienation from God. She does see people cut off from God. She, do, she does see people needing conversion to Christ, but she kind of sees people in motion spiritually, spiritual motion. And she believes God is at work in hundreds of ways. And it's joining God in what he's doing, seeing where God is working, seeing where those efforts of grace are being worked, are, are working. I was uh, reminded of a lady in a church one time, and, and it, it was said of her that she could just find something good in anyone, even the devil. And she was asked about that. She said, well, could you find any good in the devil? And she said, well, you've got to admit he's persistent. <laughs> but it's, it's having a good eye. Don't, don't spend all your time getting, getting frustrated and discouraged and all of that when, when the ashes are still wet and they're still dead and they're still dark and they're still cold. Pray, because God has to bring the faith anyway. And God has to do the work anyway. We're not going to convert anybody. God has to. But when, when you begin to see God working... Boom. Leader maker. 
Third, a leader maker is humble and self-effacing. He's humble and self-effacing. That means that they have this beautiful gift of fading into the background while they push others into prominence. Okay? When we were getting ready to start Alliance Church out on Alliance Community Church on Lamai Road a lot of years ago, 20-some years ago, um, and we had a lot of professional people in that core group. Uh, we had a partner at Barrett McNagney over here on Berry Street, an uh, attorney. Uh, we had a couple, three engineers from uh, uh, Magnavox, Raytheon, out, uh, out there on, on 30, and, and a number of professionals. And then we had this mailman. His name was Jay Martin. He lived down on uh, Pontiac Street, uh, West Pontiac Street down there. He was a mailman in that neighborhood. And he was kind of overweight, and uh, he had some, uh, some heart issues that, that rose from time to time. And, uh, and most everyone else, um, you know, was, would have been considered more prominent in the community and all. But uh, we began to start the church. There's a lot of things you got to think about. You know, we had a temporary place. We had to go in every Sunday, set up the chairs, set up the PA system, uh, get the pulpit out, uh, get the classroom, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so, so Jay would just kind of go around everyone. He, he was never on the board. He was never an elder. He was never in any position. He never had a title in the church the whole time he was there. But he was, he was there every time we had a meeting. And, and Jay would go up to, I remember he went up to John Lyons, who was the attorney down here at Barrett McNaggy, and he'd say, you know, I'll, I'll bet you and, and your boys, you, you could get those chairs set up every week. Yeah, yeah I know you could. I, I know they'd just be like in a nice straight line. You, you do a great job at that. Oh, you're going to do wonderful at that. Oh, you're going to be great. And, you know, John was like, oh, I got the chairs, I guess. You know, and, and then he go, and then he go to, he, he go to Dennis Baxter, who's a uh, an engineer uh, out at uh, out at Raytheon, and, and he say, "Oh, you you are so good. You have so much ability. To I'll bet you could set up the PA system. If you could get those wires right where they went, and it wouldn't take you any time at all. And you could just do that. And and oh, you're just going to do such a wonderful job. And off he'd go. And then, oh, I guess I've got the. He says, and, and oh, you've got a truck. You've got a truck. You know, we've got to get that pulpit. We got to, the pulpit is down there. That's the one we're going to use. And we've got to get that picked up and get that brought in. And you've got a truck. It, it wouldn't take any time at all. It's not that heavy. I'm sure you could, you could get down. And, and, you know, if we had it here by two, oh, that'd be so wonderful, so wonderful. And, and off you go again. Oh, okay. I got, when do you need it? You know, I, and, you know, everybody could do everything better than Jay, except encourage and make leaders. <laughs> I was a couple months in, I was still getting to know some of the men in that, and one of our, one of our uh, elders, uh, his name was Rick Schwab, and so I, I was just asking a story. I thought, you know, if you've been raised in the church, you've been a Christian, oh, no, 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 no. He said, my wife went to church all the time at Gospel Temple down there on Rudisil. He said, my wife went all the time, but I'd only go like maybe Christmas and Easter. That's good. Maybe if they had a special thing or something. And I said, well, how'd you come to the Lord? And he said, well... He said, I, I went, it was Thanksgiving. He went to a Thanksgiving service. Well, I guess the church was having a big Christmas program, and they were going to be building sets that next weekend. They were going to be building mangers and things. So they'd asked all the men to come and help, you know, in the building project. And he said, uh, of course, that was the farthest thing from my mind. I just happened to be there because it was Thanksgiving. And he said, Jay Martin came up to me. And, and Jay Martin says, oh, we're having this wonderful, it's going to be such a wonderful thing. Listen, I'm just going to come by and pick you up tomorrow. And now Jay lives out on West Pontiac. He lived up on Trier Road, northeast, and the Gospel Temple's back on Rudisil. 
And Jay said, oh, it's no problem. I'll be right, I'll be right by your house. <laughs> After I drive a half hour across town and take you downtown again and then take you back. But he said, I'll pick you up. And, oh, he said, and Rick Schwab said, no, no. He said, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not good at tools. I'm not really a very good. Oh, you're going to do just fine. I just know you'll do just fine. You'll just do wonderful. I'll be there at 9 o'clock. And he said, who says no to Jay Martin? And he came, he came and picked him up, took him down. They had the whole weekend and that. He said two weeks later, he, he had started, he went to the church. Uh, I suppose it was a holiday, but he said two weeks later, he came to Christ. Because Jay Martin was willing. That's what I'm talking about. Humble. Look what Barnabas does. Same kind of thing. And his ministry is flourishing. Look at Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Now, Barnabas' ministry at Antioch has been so successful, there's converts everywhere, aren't there? Look at what it says. Um, just back up. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. Great number of people were brought to the Lord. This guy is having a very successful, very powerful ministry. Now, at that point, okay, he's sent up there, good things are happening. People are coming to the Lord in droves. It's a wonderful thing. Listen, there are a lot of people that at that point would say, oh, I'm a respected leader now. I have a good reputation. I have a nice congregation. It's time that I kind of consolidate my gains and establish myself as a prominent preacher in this part of Syria. What does Barnabas do? Instead of maneuvering for his own exaltation and his own position, he leaves town to look for an associate. And he's looking for an associate he knows good well is more dynamic preacher and a, and a more dynamic leader than he is. Well, look, isn't that what it says? Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. Hey, hang around. Stay in Antioch. You've got a great church going. You've got these people think you're, you know, just it. And he leaves town to look for Saul. Remember him? Remember Saul? And then look, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a large company of people. For a whole year, he invested in this man. For a whole year, he spoke into his life. For a whole year, he instructed him in the way of Christians. For a whole year, this is what we're looking for. I don't know what you're going to do with this truth, but we're on the hook. But with that investment in Saul's life and Saul's career... He secured forever his secondary place in the church. Barnabas, you know you're just going to be working backstage when this guy gets in the pulpit. That's what a leader maker does. Put him out, step away. Look at what he does when he fades into Paul's shadow. We're going over to Acts chapter 13. Over to chapter 13. Okay? The Holy Spirit... Um, in church today, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, okay, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul. There's a couple of things I'm just kind of quirky about in the scripture that have fascinated me for so long, and I keep 
finding myself. One is lists. Lists fascinate me and numbers. Numbers, I think, are very significant and, and very often overlooked in the Scripture. Um, but lists, um, and, and you have to understand, whenever there's a list of, of two, three, four, however many in the list, the first is always considered the most important, the most prominent, the leader. And so here in Acts 13, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is the preeminent one. He's the leader. He's the, uh, he's the authority. Barnabas first, Paul second. Acts chapter 11:30. it's the same way. Barnabas, Saul. Barnabas, Saul. Chapter 12, verse 25, same way. Now, when they get to the city of Paphos on the island of Cyprus, and we're looking on down there a little bit, they traveled through the whole island, island verse 6, uh, met a Jewish sorcerer, da 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 da, was an attendant of the proconsul. Okay, the proconsul, you see that in verse uh, 7 down there? The proconsul, understand what's happening here. The proconsul, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul, who's the most important, who's the leader, who's the preeminent one? Barnabas, he's first, Barnabas and, and Saul. Because he wanted to hear the word of God. That's neat. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So here they had this opportunity, Barnabas, the leader, and Saul. And they get a chance to talk to the, the governor, the mayor, the, the head of the, ta- the area, and this magician who kind of sees what's going to happen, and he comes in and he doesn't want it to happen. He wants to uh, stop it. Look at verse 10, chapter 13. It was Saul who explodes with this. You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. I don't picture Barnabas putting it that way. Do you? I mean, everything you know about Barnabas, that's not the way he would have said it. But from that point on, Saul, and by the way, in verse 9, he's, first, he's called Paul for the first time. Saul, called Paul, is in charge. You see it immediately in chapter 13, uh, Acts 13, uh, verse 13. Look at verse 13 here. From Paphos... Paul and his companion sailed to Perga. He doesn't even get named. But a leader maker is humble and able to take second place behind the scenes, not even be named, because his work for a year or, or over, actually. And Paul is in charge. In Acts 13, 16, it's Paul, not Barnabas, who delivers a sermon in Antioch. And from now on, it's Paul, not Barnabas. Except when they're in Lystra, where Barnabas is called Zeus and Paul is called Hermes. In Acts 14, we get a glimpse of what this partnership looked like. They come to Lystra, and a man's been healed through the hand of Paul, who's now in charge. He's in lead. 
Look at verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. Look at how the local people describe this relationship between Paul, uh, Barnabas and Paul. Paul and Barnabas. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now Zeus was the father of the Greek gods. Hermes was the son. He was the fleet-footed messenger. Hermes was the one that brought the message. Zeus was the maybe more dignified, older concept. And that's what they saw, and that's why they mentioned Barnabas, because they related him to Zeus. But everywhere else, it's Paul, and Barnabas is in the shadows. And so behind the emergence of this great missionary and the greatest theologian the world has known is the aging Barnabas, humbly giving way to this explosive young leader called Paul, who he has discipled and who he has trained. Sons of encouragement, by the way, and here's another thing to get behind and fan an ember and get in somebody's life and encourage them and send them out. We need thousands of them, sons of encouragement. Here's another thing that you might consider in all this. Sons of encouragement are less likely to be stoned than sons of thunder. That's true. Everybody in town, honest to goodness, one of the largest funerals I've ever done was Jay Martin's funeral. And, you know, he was, he was older, and usually the older you get, the less numbers you have at the funeral. The younger you are, the more friends and all that's around. Uh, the, the Gospel Temple is packed out. Everybody loved Jay Martin. Pastor Rick, Board of Elders, not all the time. So there's kind of a trade-off in these two roles. There are different costs. And Barnabas paid the price of self-effacement, setting himself in the background, and eventual obscurity. And Paul pays the price of being the mouthpiece of God and being threatened with stoning and being stoned. So a biblical leader maker looks for people with better gifts than his own. That's, you're not looking for somebody that doesn't have the capabilities you do. Look for somebody that has greater capabilities. Well, that person, they could get behind them, fan it, spend time with them, and move them on forward. Number four, a leader maker is patient with the failure of others. Patient with the failure of others. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas come to a disagreement over John Mark. Paul didn't want to take him along because he had bailed out after only two cities in the first missionary journey. He didn't want to take him along. He's a quitter. How do, re how do you respond when somebody fails under your watch? When they don't come through, when they don't get things right, what do you want to do with them? What did Paul want to do? Leave him behind. I'm not taking him. He bailed on us before. What did the leader maker do? He showed patience. He stuck with it. He kept plotting. And he and John Mark went off. Paul picked up a guy by the name of Silas. And they went off. So, hey, now we've got two missionary ventures going. Glory to God. Now, eventually, Paul came around, recognized the abilities in John Mark, even requested his company. So, 
So he kind of came around. But a leader maker is patient, endure, enduring, plotting. William Carey, missionary to India, was asked at the review board what he thought his abilities were but enabled him to be a missionary to India. And he said, I can plod. That's it. I can plod. It's plodding. Day after day, week after week, investing in that life. Number five, a leader maker is free from materialism. Acts 4.36 says, and we're going way back at the first of this book, in Acts chapter 4, you'll remember, that the apostle gave Joseph the name of Barnabas because it meant son of encouragement. The very next verse it says, he sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? Acts 4.34 says it was to meet the needs of the poor, Christ, the poor Christians in the Christian community. And this is what Luke associates with Barnabas as being a son of encouragement. He gave, and you would conclude that Barnabas doesn't love money and things, he loves people. And that's essential for being a leader maker. Twenty years later, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas that must work for a living? Twenty years have passed. Twenty years later, and here's the old Zeus and the young Hermes keeping themselves lean for the Lord working with their hands, refusing to take the gifts of the church. Why? In order to make it perfectly clear, we were not ministering for money. We are ministering for people. If you want to be a biblical leader maker, ask yourself this. When your mind is free to dream or just to think fancifully, what do you think about? What do you dream about? Clothes? Cars? Houses, lake property, sports, profits, videos, computers, vacations, movies, investments. In other words, when I have time to think and reflect and just pause, am I materialistic in those moments? When I dream about what I would like to do and like to have? Does my mind naturally fill up with possessions? That's not what fills the minds of a leader maker. When leader makers lay awake at night, their minds turn to people. People potential, people strategies. They dream about how to maximize the influences on people for the sake of Christ. They come up with things like, maybe I could invite the young teenager to the camping weekend. Maybe we could get behind that 14-year-old missionary child with our small group. Maybe we could have that couple over for dinner. Maybe we could write a letter of encouragement to that single parent. Maybe we could outfit that needy family with school supplies. The list is endless for leader makers, people who are free from the deadening mentality of materialism. And that's Barnabas. So let me close and just give you five things quickly to do this week. I don't know if you did the things I suggested last week. I'll tell you right out of the gate on Monday. And, and <laughs> you know, the last thing I mentioned last week was use your money to benefit somebody else, not in your family. That was the last point. Did you do that? I'll tell you right out of the gate on Monday. I'm minding my own business. I'm in my backyard. 
I'm going to mow my yard. I'm getting gasoline in the lawnmower, and a 19-year-old son, my neighbor is a single uh, mother with a 19-year-old son living there. I don't really know him well. I see him once in a while. Occasionally he'll throw up a hand, and I've never really talked to him, I don't think. Um, and uh, I'm minding my own business in my backyard. He comes running across the backyard. Sir, 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 sir. He gets to the fence, and he's kind of on the fence. Sir, sir. And I got up. I saw him. I walked over. Ah, um, we, we got a new dryer. We had a gas dryer. It didn't work. We got a new one. And, and, and I was going to hook it up for my mom before she got home from work. And this is a great thing. I think anytime a kid wants to do something for his mom before she gets home and surprise, this is a great thing. And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hooked it and I smelled gas all over my house. <coughs> is there a place to shut it off? I said, it's still going. Yeah, there's got to be a place to shut it off. I said, yeah, it's right by the wall. Come on, I'll get my, you know, uh, run over. You got in there. Yeah. And I said, right here, see how you turn this valve? Now it's straight. That, that means it's up. Turn it. That means it's off. Okay, it's off, right? It's not good, clear. And uh, then, uh, okay, no problem, but he's got other problem because his line doesn't fit the line that's on the new dryer. So I make two or three, three trips to the uh, hardware store, buy brass fitting, so on and so on. And the whole time. I'm just smiling the whole time because God said, remember what you said yesterday? <laughs> Use your money, help somebody else, not your family. And I'm just going through and saying, God, check that one off. Here I am. I'm faithful. I'm doing it. And, uh, and um, anyway, we didn't get quite done. His mom comes home before we're done. And uh, she says, Oh my goodness, she said, what? Now she thinks I can do anything and everything and, and all that stuff. I think she was glad I was there. She said, oh, how much am I going to owe for this? I said, what, well, $350. <laughs> plumbers, plumbers don't come cheap. She said, how did you know exactly how much I had in my purse? And so we just had kind of a fun little thing there, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad it all, it, it all worked out. So I'm just saying, if you're serious about this and you're serious about obeying God, go in the world, make disciples, be a leader maker, and you're serious about what he said to you this morning, these are things you're going to do. And God will remind you, and he'll put you in a position. Number one, take a risk and support some new convert. Take a risk and support some newcomer, somebody new in the face, somebody that's just coming along, somebody that's been struggling. Maybe they're not brand new. Maybe they've been at it four or five years, but they've never had anybody come along. Number two, find with a good eye and a good, glad heart the potential for grace in someone. Now, a good eye means that the, uh, there's evidence that God's working. There's, there's embers of grace. God's working. Find somebody in which God is working and encourage them. Go for the J. Martin Award. That's one of the highest medals you can get in the Lord's Army, the J. Martin Award. Go for it. That's number two. Number three, meet a need for someone. And then fade into the background. Being forgotten by everyone around for it. You don't go tell anybody. They don't tell anybody. You've just done it and you are off the scene. Do that for somebody this week. The Lord will give you a chance. He'll give you an opportunity. He'll even remind you. You can smile too. You can say, Lord, I got it. And uh, I remember Pat's mom's funeral. She was a laborer down here at General Electric for 40 years. She retired. And Pat knew her mom pretty good. She's known her all her life. I knew her pretty good at that time. I'd known her for 30-some years. She attended our church for 10 years. I mean, I knew this lady. And at her funeral, we were dumbfounded. 
that person after person after person we didn't know from General Electric because she worked with in those four years. Oh, you know, Lucy, I'll never forget that time things were kind of hard for us and Lucy came over and she had bags of groceries for us. Oh, she just blessed us so much. Another guy come along. Oh, I remember that time my kids didn't have shoes. Things were really hard on us. Lucy brought over shoes and brought in. And, and person after person, we didn't know it. No one told her we didn't know that. And all of these people over, over these years were telling us about all of these things. Meet a need for somebody and drift off into the background. Number four, demonstrate patience with the failures of others. Before you do this one, you might start asking forgiveness for not being patient. And then ask, demonstrate patience with the failure of others. Somebody's failed you, somebody's let you down, I'm done with them. Demonstrate a little patience. And if you see embers of grace, go back again. And finally, capture every materialistic thought and present it to Jesus and ask him to help you dream dreams of how to make leaders for the glory of God. And I think that's a great idea. Father, thank you for these minutes this morning. Thank you for enabling us to see the individual the Holy Spirit would make us as he did Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, to live lives this way that would uh, be a whole source of encouragement to a great many others. And now, Father, we go forth obediently, I trust. We get our antennas out and we search for that one that you would have us be faithful to in this regard, to invest in, to encourage, to watch us by example for a time and then to encourage them and push them into the forefront and turn them loose for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name.